Welcome to The Brave Place, where we journey into the lives of brave men and women who have beat the odds or who are in the trenches right now. Difference makers who have truly discovered the warrior that lives within and are living it out. This is the place that will inspire, encourage, enlighten, and challenge that brave person that lives deep down within all of us. Welcome back to another episode of The Brave Place. I'm your host, Christy Rodriguez, and today we are talking about an interesting topic that we can all relate to. We're talking about relationships. I'm here with one of the best marriage and family therapists. His name is Brad Franklin. I love this guy. I've heard him speak. He is engaging. He's honest. He's sincere. And you can't help but learn and grow whenever you're listening to Brad. So Brad is the founder of Fresh Roots Family Counseling. They've been serving Northwest Arkansas since 2005 and in Fort Smith in the River Valley since 2015. Mr. Mr. Brad Franklin has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, as well as a master's degree in religious education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He specializes in the area of marriage, affair recovery, blended families, and men's issues. And I'm so glad that you could be with us today. Thank you, Brad, for being here. Glad to be here. Well, I've really been looking forward to this conversation with you because I truly believe in the power of connection and how the way we connect with others can directly impact everything else in our lives. So I think this is kind of a big deal. So for those listening today, we're going to explore the distancer in a relationship and the pursuer in a relationship and what all that means. You may already know what you are. My hope is that you'll walk away with a deeper understanding of how you can use your personality type to foster a positive connection in your own relationship. So first, I want to start off with this quote, Brad, um, that you have on your website by the well-known clinical psychologist, Sue Johnson, her words on connection. She says, quote, being the best you can be is really only possible when you are deeply connected to another. That's a pretty big statement about the importance of connection. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Christy, we are designed and created to connect. People who don't connect are not enjoying the full design that God gave us. You know, the first thing that God says about human beings after he creates us, Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for them to be alone. I think that is a mm. profound statement about me and about you and about all human beings. And the truth is, when people are isolated and alone and unattached, people get weird, right, in isolation. <laughs> we don't do well when we're not connected. And, and I will tell you, I am, I am a connector myself. I love to connect with people. That's part of the reason I do this podcast. And, you know, I have not met one person, either in a marriage or even a, just a regular friendship relationship, coworker relationship, that has not had an issue somewhere. So first, I want to start by defining a pursuer, and a distancer. So can you help me understand what those two terms mean in a relationship? You bet. You bet. So what that's referring to is this. You know, everybody has a plan in their head for how you communicate when there's a conflict arising or you need to express something that's really important to you. And so everyone, whether they know it or not, you've got a plan. You've got a method in your head that makes sense to you. Whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not. But it's there. And for some people, uh, I call that plan pursuing. Like I'm a pursuer. I know you're a pursuer. Mm -hmm. And pursuers work like this. 
Um, if I love you, if I care about you and I have a problem with you, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to use lots of words because I care about you. Let's get this resolved and let's get on with the business of enjoying our relationship and being close and being connected. So that is a pursuer at their, at their heart and at their best. Okay. But not everybody's a pursuer. Okay. Some people are more what I would call a distancer and distancers are more like this. They're going to say, because I love you, because you matter to me, if there's an issue between us, I'm going to lean out Mm. because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want you to hurt me. I want to be real careful with you. And so distancers, same motivation. You're important to me and I love you, but totally opposite effect. They're going to lean out and say, I love you and therefore I lean out. Mm. And it is when you say they're going to lean out because to a pursuer, that feels like rejection. Absolutely. But really what you're saying is that distancer is saying, because I care about you, I'm going to lean out because I don't want to hurt you. But maybe something they may, might say is. Yes. You know, I hear distancers again. And I'm married to a distancer, by the way. Her name is Beth. Mm-hmm. And, and Beth is going to say, I don't want to say something that I can't take back. And it might be wrong. Distancers weigh their words. But to your point, that's not necessarily what that feels like to a pursuer. Because sometimes when Beth leans out and away from me and doesn't talk about it or doesn't want to have the conversation, I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I feel rejected. I must not matter to you. If I mattered, you'd be willing to have this fight with me that we need to have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely relate to that. I am married to a distancer. And, and and I know statistically speaking, most men are distancers. That's right. Um, but that doesn't mean all men are distancers and it doesn't mean all women are pursuers. And so now what feels like, you, you talked about what feels like rejection to a pursuer. So what feels like rejection to a distancer? Great question. So yes. Yeah, so once again, I'm married to Beth. I'm the pursuer. Here's what Beth is going to say it feels like to be married to me some days. I'm critical. <laughs> I'm bossy. I'm always bringing up problems, and I'm always just beating a dead horse over things. Okay, I don't recognize that guy. I'm a nice guy. I love her. But she's going to say, that's what it feels like to be married to me some days. And so for them, it does. It feels like we're being critical. It's, ne- it's never enough, right? I'm always going to be bringing the next thing up or the next thing. Or just when she thinks that the problem's talked through, I want to talk about it some more. Mm-hmm. So pursuers actually enjoy conflict to a certain extent, or maybe they're just not afraid of conflict. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, you could go both directions. Um, it's not that pursuers enjoy conflict. We enjoy the results of conflict, right? Mm, that's we, a good point. We yeah. like the fact of, I'm going to lean in, we're going to get this resolved, and then we can get on the business today of being happy and enjoying each other. Mm-hmm. But when we've got this thing between us that we're not talking about yet, it feels very unsafe to a pursuer. There, there's unfinished business here. Let's get it resolved. I completely relate to that 100%. I have all these windows of things that need to be fixed in my mind. And, and so, and I'm open and willing, let's, hey, let's talk about, let's, let's fix this. And, and then my husband is like, again? Right, <laughs> You know right. what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and I think many women can relate to this. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I want to do this podcast, because I have had to learn as a pursuer to learn how to step back and give that distancer my husband this this moment to process and and figure out where he is at and and what's really going on here before he can even come to a solution he's got to have that that man cave space i guess is what you, you would bet. call it you bet 
Okay, so with that being said, with the distancer and pursuer personality, um, where does that even come from? Where would you say that starts? Well, that's a complicated question. And I think you could take a couple of different routes. You know, part of it's what you grow up with. Your family is the classroom where you learn to do relationships. Mm. And what you observe there, for better or for worse, is what you tend to take out into the rest of the world. And so, if like, I grew up in a family and, and there was a fair amount of pursuing going on. Sometimes it can come from things like birth order, personality type. Like my wife, um, she's a distancer. She's a middle child. And she is the ultimate middle child of where, you know, the younger and the older, they took, they had all the drama going on and they were both, <laughs> you know, pursuing and fighting. And she was the peacemaker. And so it can come from your family of origin. It can come from your birth order. It can come from your personality type. It can come from a lot of different places. What's the best thing a pursuer can do to foster this positive, safe culture for a distancer? Let's say there's a conflict. The pursuer is very aware of the conflict. The distancer probably is aware of it, kind of wants to avoid it. What does the pursuer do to promote this safe place where they can move forward in their natural tendency to be a pursuer, but not be overbearing where then it causes this conflict, and then now we have World War III going right. on. So let me answer that question by backing up just a minute. Okay. Most marriages have a distancer and a pursuer. Now, that's not true of every marriage. Some marriage has two pursuers, or some marriage has, t- marriages have two distancers. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But in general, you typically have one of each. And for some people, they've got a cycle that actually works for them, where we've got one that we automatically know she is going to be the one that's going to bring up the issue or she's going to be the one that pushes for change. And he is going to be the one that's more calm and cool and collected and measured and careful. And so in some cases, that cycle can be healthy and works well. Other time, I think to your point, um, it's not a healthy cycle and it works against you, right? And the words you use there a minute ago is the perfect word of, in the end, whether you're a pursuer or a distancer, you're looking for safety, right? And it's safety Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as a pursuer, without meaning to, when I over-pursue, I make it where it is no longer safe for Beth to be vulnerable. And vice versa. Sometimes she distances to the point, I no longer feel safe to be vulnerable, to be open. Here's what happens. When we get into these conflicts, we start getting anxious and we start getting scared. When people get anxious and scared, we tend to speed up. Really, we need to slow down and be more careful with each other. But the human tendency is I'm going to speed up when I get afraid and I get anxious and I don't know where this is going and I don't know what you're about to do. And so when I speed up, I pursue more and more and more. When Beth speeds up, she distances more and more and more. And so therefore, the more I pursue, guess what she wants to do? She wants to run away. She wants to run away. Well, guess what happens when she runs away? I get more scared. And And you speed up. I speed up. And so it's a vicious cycle that's almost like a cruel joke, right? Because we're both trying to get to a safe place, but we're actually robbing the other person of that safety. Mm. And that's not what I'm meaning to do. But that's what happens when all this emotion gets flowing and things get really confusing. So, so in that situation, it would be good to pause, yeah. take a deep breath. I'm talking from a pursuer perspective. Say, okay, you know what? I've said what I needed to say. Now I'm going to back off. 
I'm going to let the distancer process what I'm doing. Would, would that be a good practical in the moment move? Absolutely. And that goes back to very often doing the, the exact opposite of what your gut's telling you to do. Right? <laughs> what you feel because like. Because your yes. gut's telling you, I got to keep mm-hmm. on. I got to mm-hmm. keep pushing in. Mm-hmm. He's not getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, it is. It's to back off. But even then, let me say this. A lot of people swing from one to the other. I go from being this hot and heavy pursuer to backing way off in a real dramatic fashion. That is not helpful. Mm-hmm. I need to back off, but I still need to be available, right? I still need to be engaged, even if I shut my mouth. Mm, that's good. So in that practical moment for a distancer, they figure out what is it that I need to say here and how can I say it in the best way? Um, but I'm not going to take two days or a week. Right. Or what, what can a distancer do to make sure that the pursuer knows, hey, I'm still here. I still care about this conflict. I still want to do something here because I know a lot of times that does happen. And I heard that today in my lunch with my friends, um, one of them who she's a pursuer other than me. And she was talking about her relationship and she said her struggle was she felt like her husband's a distancer, but then he never returns back to the the conflict. So it never gets resolved. And all she did was pursue. All he did was distance and then nothing ever happened. Um, so what could a distancer do to come to bring that conflict resolution to fruition. You know, so with distancers, if you'll just give information, because when you're silent, we tend to fill in the blanks as pursuers, and very often it's not good. Gotcha. And if you can let me know, to your point, hey, let me have some time to digest this. I'll be ready to talk about this later this evening or tomorrow. Give me some kind of timeline. Give me some hope that you're still in this with me. That's good. And, and I like that. Um, you're letting them know I'm still here. Um, and you're also, I like the time frame element too. Yeah. Um, so the pursuer can also just back off and say, okay, I can do that. Right. That's doable. Right. And that emotion um, is coming from a good place. Absolutely. And you know, Christy, that's one thing I have learned and work with couples over 20 years is it's not about good and bad guys and who's right and who's wrong. Because once again, both people are doing what they know to do. And it may not be right, and it may not be working, but most people are going to come from a sincere place of they're doing what they think is going to solve the problem. Mm. And when you can approach people like that and realize, because a lot of times pursuers, we look like terrible people. You know, we're shooting our mouth off, and we we can be name callers sometimes. I don't know what you're talking about, Brad. (laughs) But once again... You know, in that moment, I am pursuing because I care. That's mm-hmm. what that's about. I mm-hmm. care, and and in in psychological terms, that's my bid for connection. I'm reaching out and trying to connect to you. But once again, if you're my distance or wife, that doesn't feel like I'm reaching out in love. It feels like I'm reaching out in aggression or anger or judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what happens if you have this um, unhealthy pattern? in a marriage, this pursuer, distancer, unhealthy, like they are, the, the pursuer's not getting it, the distancer's not getting it. What does that marriage begin to look like? Yeah, so this cycle that I'm talking about, and once again, every couple has a cycle. If you will sit down and think about your own marriage, you will begin to see you have a cycle. And so the longer that thing goes on, the more that cycle speeds up on you. You know, very often I've got couples coming into my office 
and um, they're telling me, you know, we fight about everything now. We didn't used to, but we fight about every little things that we don't need to be fighting about. And that's that cycle very often speeding up. You know, when, when people start to pull away and detach from each other, that's what begins to happen. And that's the result of a negative cycle is I begin to detach. I begin to pull away, even though I'm still trying to get back to that good place with you. Mm-hmm. So that's what that looks like. So detachment. So does that look like no communication? Like when you say detachment. There are a lot of ways to detach. You know, some people detach by they leave the house, they get in the car and they drive away. Some people detach, they stay in the room with you, but they just shut down and they go inside. So there are a lot of different ways to detach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, when it happens, you can, you can feel it. You can feel it inside of yourself. You can feel it inside of the other person. You feel that detachment. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary place to me because um, to me that opens the door for that person to attach to someone else. Absolutely. You know, because they don't feel safe with you, and so they might feel safe with somebody else. Absolutely. And um, now, let's talk about what do you do when you have two distancers? I had a conversation with someone today at lunch, and we were talking about the pursuer-distancer relationship. And she said, well, I'm a distancer, and so is my husband. So what does that mean? Very good question. So, yeah, so here's the good news about two distancers in a relationship. That will be a very peaceful relationship. There won't be a lot of conflict. There won't be a lot of fighting. Um, They're both going to kind of go with the flow. So there's a positive that the downside to that one, though, is this. Issues that need to be addressed and expressed just get swept under the rug by both people. You know, if you don't have somebody pushing, hey, we need to deal with this or we need to talk about this or we need to look at this. If no one is doing that, then a lot of things fall through the cracks and don't get done. And while it's a peaceful relationship, that doesn't make it a good relationship. Mm. You know, a lot of times I've got couples that come in my office and they'll say things to me like, we never fight. And they think that's a good thing. That's not a good thing. I'm thinking, what in the heck are you doing then? Because anytime you get this connected to someone and live under the same roof, Mm -hmm. there is going to be conflict, whether it's expressed or not. Mm -hmm. And so when they say we're not fighting, that's a danger. That's a red flag to Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. That's as big a red flag as we fight all the time. Mm -hmm. There are probably needs not being met and just just not spoken about. Absolutely. And, And so when you got two distancers, there has to be the courage and be willing to confront some things and do some things differently. Now, here's the good news for both pursuers and distancers. We can learn and we can change. Mm. That's, that's what I spend my whole life helping people do mm-hmm. is learn and change. And it is possible to step out there. But once again, you have to have courage, right? You have to, you have to be brave mm-hmm. in the situation mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. For sure. And what would you tell two pursuers? Wow. So, yeah, that's <laughs> what would you a, tell that's a us, dumpster Brad? fire, right? What would you say to if, yourself if, and me? If you and I had a marriage, it'd be a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so here, here's the thing with, with two pursuers. Once again, courage and vulnerability, right? But it just it's a different flavor of vulnerability and courage. Because for me as a pursuer, it takes courage to keep my mouth closed. Mm, that's the, good. The courage I need It's to sometimes shut my mouth and let things be and wait on the other person or wait on God. Mm. Man, that's hard, Brad. That is very hard. (laughs) That is very hard. 
That's good advice, though. You know, and I'll, I will share this with you. So Beth and I were one of those marriages where first six, seven years of our marriage, we had a very, um, a very destructive cycle of that. And, you know, I do this for a living. That doesn't help you see your own stuff, right? I, <laughs> I can see everyone else's stuff really clearly. Couldn't see my own stuff necessarily. Mm. And so, you know, first six years of our marriage, um, Beth and I did a lot of this where I'm pursuing, pursuing. She is distancing, distancing. And um, we reach year six of our marriage, and I come home one night, and she's gone. And she's left me a very nice note on the dining room table that basically says, I love you, but I can't keep doing this. Wow. I'm hurting. I've been trying to get you to hear me. You're not hearing me, and I'm not sure what else to do. Wow. That was a tough day. Mm-hmm. And yet I will tell you, because of her courage that day, that turned our marriage around. And God used that to help me see some things about myself I had never been able or willing to see before. Wow. And that's, that's that courage of the distancer. Absolutely. And, you know, when I initially, when this happened, I was hurt and I was angry and I was frustrated and I was confused. But as the dust settled, one thing I truly did know is I knew that she loved me and I knew that that was a very hard thing for her to do, that she didn't do that to punish me or embarrass me. She really did do it because she didn't know what else to do. Wow. Wow. That's the power of, of that courage of being willing to speak up right. and, and make some change. And one thing, that's, and that's one of the things I just appreciate about you so much, Brad, is that your willingness to come on here um, and share such an honest, vulnerable part of your story. So thank you for that. You bet. And, and I think all pursuers need to hear that too. Yeah. And can I share a little bit more about, about that? You know, while her courage was in having the courage to finally say, I can't keep doing this, the courage for me was to humble myself and listen to that because I didn't understand it for a long time and I didn't know what she was talking about. So it took courage for me to humble myself and listen to that and begin listening more. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that leads me to my other question because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the humility factor. You bet. From my own experience in marriage, I've, I don't think there's in, any other more humbling institution than the institution of marriage. I believe if, if you want to know how selfish you really are, get married. <laughs> I mean, truly. Right. Um, This is a situation where you are the most raw and honest that you will ever be in front of anyone ever, more than your parents, your your siblings, your closest friends. Um, Marriage is where someone sees all the good and all the bad. And it's also that place where you have to truly lay your life down for that other person, sometimes even um, when it, it doesn't feel good or maybe even if they are in the wrong. Um, we're still asked to do that in the Institute of Marriage. I, I feel like the key to a healthy, thriving relationship truly is that selfless living, putting God number one and choosing to live as Christ where he died for us and we die for the other person. If you can have a, a relationship where you have both people doing that, laying their lives one for another, um, you could really have an amazing, powerful marriage there. So can you speak to that for a minute? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you and you're right on target there that that humility is is the essence of what we're called to do in marriage. 
you know, um, I recently heard this explained, and I had never thought about this before, but um, in the New Testament, when uh, men are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church, what does that mean? Here's what that means. Christ loves the church, us, not because we're perfect and not because we're beautiful and not because we do everything right. He loves us so that we will become beautiful and we will do right because we're motivated by the love. That's a humbling thing, mm-hmm. right? That he, he chooses sure. to love us when we're not together. Another one I, I like to apply to that, and this is not one that's often applied to marriage, but it's one I've learned to apply to mine. Into Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this. This is the message transliteration of this. Don't pat yourself on the back for loving people who are just like you or easy to love. Any common sinner can do that. Mm. Real love is when I love people who don't give me what I want or don't treat me like I want to be treated. Wow. And is that not the, the our marriages some days? 100%. Ruth Graham, and you have this on your website too, says a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Yes. And uh, I, I don't think there's a more truer statement than that. And and I just appreciate that so much. I know men and women, you know, we are so incredibly different in the way we think and, and handle life. And, and I believe God put us together like that on purpose because yes. um, it, there's no other place that you could learn how to truly lay your life down. Absolutely. Um, than from someone so different than you. Absolutely. And Chrissy, if I can add something to that, you know, um, one of the key practical things, once again, of how do you get that cycle into a better place? And part of it is being willing to recognize my way of doing things is not the only right way. Mm. And that, that is a hard thing for a lot of us to get a hold of because most of us make the mistake of assuming the way I see the world, the way I feel about this is the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and part of making space for your opposite in your marriage is to recognize that they may be seeing it very differently. And it's not necessarily more right or wrong. It's just different. Essentially, you're putting yourself in their shoes. Absolutely. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a tough question, and it's tough because it would be hard to answer this um, and fully encompass the best advice to marriage. But I'm going to ask you, what is your best marriage advice for anyone listening right now? Go. Wow, that's a toughie. (laughs) So my short answer to that would probably be this, Christy. None of us know what we're getting into when we get married. We don't have a clue, right? And truly, the attraction at the beginning of this deal is not so much that I love you. I love how you make me feel. Mm, That is so true. It's only later on that real love begins to develop. And and one of the things I found in my own marriage, and, and I really try to draw this picture for people, the big picture of, in the end, Beth is my person on this planet, Mm. and I need to have her back, and she needs to have mine. And I can't count on anyone else, really, but I can count on her. And when you foster that vision in your own life of, I'm I'm this person's person, and they need me to have their back, that just turns so many things around. And even though I don't always get you, and even though you may annoy me or confuse me, you're my person and you need me to have your back. Hmm. And fostering that vision of your marriage is life-changing. Mm. It's, it's that 
that's that self-sacrifice we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Laying your life down. You went from the beginning where it's what this person can do for me. Now you've just turned the tables and what can I do for her? Yes. Or him? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that is one heck of an answer for a loaded question. So thank you, Brad, so much. Um, you've been so helpful to me as a pursuer. And, and I know that you've been helpful to those distancers out there. Um, God bless you, distancers, because you're listening to this right now. And you're like, yeah, put the pursuer in check. And he is doing that right now. So um, thank you so much for being here. And if anyone wants to find your counseling center, how could they find it, Brad? Probably the best way is like everyone does on the web, freshrootsfamilycounseling.com. Well, thank you again for being here. And it's been a gift getting to sit down and visit with you today. And for those listening, I want to add that Fresh Roots Family Counseling also has an amazing team of therapists that are trained in various modes of therapy, serving adults, families, preteens, teens, and toddlers. They just have a fantastic staff over there. And before you go, I'd like to leave you with a final brave word and challenge, and then I'll share a clip of our next podcast. Now, reflecting on today's visit with Brad, I don't ever want to forget the importance of connection because everything in our lives is impacted by connection. That's why we've been exploring the distancer and pursuer personalities today in hopes to strengthen the ability to connect with one another. First and foremost, I believe in order to experience the fullness of what God has for us in our relationships, we have to start with the one who created all connection, and that's Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That entire verse is about connection. What that verse tells me is that he is the source for us to bear fruit in our relationships. And apart from him, our relationships will suffer. And I believe that's because apart from Jesus, for me personally, I'm really self-centered and it's impossible to love others well when it's all about me. So bottom line, the deeper my connection with the God of love, wisdom, and truth, the more I am equipped in fostering an earthly relationship that encompasses those same attributes. And what an awesome earthly relationship that can be. What a gift to get to live out this tangible expression of God's love with another person. Basically, we're putting into practice who he is, which then transforms us into the likeness of Christ in the process. There's no better way to learn about love than by living it out with another while having the God of love as your guide. How cool is it that he uses our relationships to teach us about himself? The divine nature of that is just mind-boggling to me. And if we do it well, we will be blessed with an incredible connection with another, which, like Sue Johnson says, allows us to live the best version of ourselves because a connection like that secures our need to belong and be seen. It creates an inner confidence, a security, a peace, which gives us the ability to then go out and love all others in this world freely, asking nothing else in return. It's a selfless love that manifests, and that is how God's light shines into the hearts of those lost and craving a true, authentic love, which is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said the world will know him by our love for one another. So it's crucial that we become the best version of ourselves so that our light can shine the brightest. So in my mind, 
There's nothing more important than tapping into the creator of connection so that we can live it out with another here on earth and as a result, become the best version of ourselves. So my brave challenge for you is this, examine your connection with God and then examine the way you connect with those around you and ask yourself, which source am I tapping into? Is it the creator of connection, God himself, or am I trying to do this on my own? And then take a humble, courageous step towards connecting with God and someone special in your life. Remember, our connections impact everything else in our lives. Before you go, I want to leave you with a clip of our next podcast with Jenny Sori, founder of Hub of Hope, as she opens our eyes to human trafficking and how we can make a difference in our communities. Take a listen. A victim of human trafficking can truly be anyone around us. That's true. That is so true. But it begins with what looks like love and true affection and attention. Um, But then it moves into really revealing itself. I hope you can join us for the interview with Jenny. It's so informative. And thank you again for joining us here at The Brave Place. If you have a brave story you'd like to share with me, please shoot me an email at christy at thebraveplace.org. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y at thebraveplace.org. I'd love to hear from you and and any feedback that you'd like to share based on podcasts that you've heard here. Until next time, have a brave day. Thanks for listening to The Brave Place part of the KLRC Podcast Network.